You're listening to TIP. On today's show, I sat down with Antoine Martel to talk about turnkey properties, multifamily rentals, and how to invest out of state. Antoine started investing in real estate in college and has built a rental property portfolio worth over $10 million, completed over 150 rehab projects, and built a very successful turnkey business, all by the age of just 24. Let's jump right into today's episode with Antoine Martel. You're listening to Real Estate Investing by the Investors Podcast Network, where your host, Robert Leonard, interviews successful investors from various real estate investing niches to help educate you on your real estate investing journey. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Robert Leonard. And with me today, I have Antoine Martel from Martel Turnkey. Welcome to the show, Antoine. Thanks so much for having me. Let's start by talking about your background, who you are, and how you got to where you are today. I'm currently 24 years old. I live in Los Angeles. And I started getting into and interested in real estate back in 2015. So five years ago now, this is 2020. My brother actually took me and my dad to a real estate conference, a real estate seminar. It was just for a weekend. It was about flipping houses. We went, we learned a lot. It was up in San Francisco and we were like, all right, we're going to go start flipping houses now in, in San Francisco. And we took what we had learned and went to start doing this kind of stuff in San Francisco or trying to at least. Started to make offers on properties, running numbers on deals, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. After about six months, we realized that we didn't have enough money. We knew nobody in the business. And we were just like playing in a whole different league that wasn't ours that we couldn't compete in. We only had 40 grand saved up. We didn't know anybody in real estate or real estate industry. So it was really difficult for us to win any deals. After that, I moved to Los Angeles to come finish up college. My brother went and tried to, was a realtor, became a realtor in the Bay Area. My dad went back to his full time job. Real estate was always kind of still in our back of our minds at that point. And we knew we were going to eventually get back into it, but just didn't know how with only 40,000 bucks in our pocket, especially in being in California. So while I was at university, it was kind of my last year at university, my senior year, and was reading a bunch of books, podcasts, you name it. I was doing it. I was networking with people one-on-one. I was going to meetups, everything, and started hearing about this whole out-of-state thing, this Burr strategy and how people were buying homes out of state, rehabbing them, renting them out, and then refinancing them and pulling all the money out of them. And it was super intriguing. And I started looking at the numbers and looking at these markets out of state where you can buy a house for 20 or 30,000 bucks. And I was like, all right, perfect. This you know, fits my budget now. I can go buy a house for 30 grand, renovate it for 10 grand, and then refinance it out. And my last semester at university down here in LA, I bought that first house, used my dad's $40,000, bought a house for 35,000 bucks, renovated it for a couple thousand bucks, just paint and new carpet put a tenant in place, found a property management company, and then went to a local credit union and did a cash out refinance. So that's how it all started. And that was back in 2017. So 2015 to 2017, it was literally all just learning and trying a bunch of stuff that wasn't working. Finally, 2017, early 2017, bought that first house. I graduated in May 2017 from college. And then I went to my dad and said, Hey, I can keep doing this and growing the family portfolio after graduation. You just got to cover my expenses, but let me try to figure this thing out. And by the end of that year, December 2017, we had about 10 properties in Memphis, Tennessee. And I was like, All right, this is working. Like we have a small family portfolio that's making good money, but we had run out of cash at that point. We only started with 40 grand. So there's only so many properties that you could buy with turnover with that money. So 
we started to raise money and started to do more and more deals with other people's money, kind of doing the burr, partnering up with people. But most importantly, people started reaching out to us to actually just buy rental properties from us. We now had a small portfolio out of state and people wanted to do the same thing, wanted to invest in cash flowing rentals. And so what we ended up doing was actually selling properties out of our portfolio to friends and family. So I made a janky little website on WordPress called Martel Family Realty, posted up our portfolio and started emailing friends and family and people that have reached out to us to go check out the website. And we just put all the information up there. That has now grown into what's called Martel Turnkey, which is a full service turnkey rental property company. And now we do over... Last year, 2018, we did 85 houses. And then this year, we're hoping to do over 120. So not slowly, but we've quickly been growing the business and and started way more projects than we had uh, anticipated. And now hopefully this year, we're, we're going to do around 10 properties every single month. Let's dive into that turnkey business a little bit more, and then we'll transition to your current investment portfolio. But for those who may not know what a turnkey property is, what exactly is a turnkey property? And what does a turnkey company do? Yeah, great question. So our turnkey company buys properties, renovates them, rents them out, puts a property management company in place, and then we sell it to our clients. We help our clients get financing, insurance. We give them the property management company on the ground. We help them if they want to get an inspection, all that kind of stuff. We help them get insurance. You name it, we help them with everything that surrounds that rental property. And we have people already on the ground because we have our own portfolio there. So we just essentially refer people over to our clients who we're, we're already using personally. And one of the big questions is how does a turnkey company make money? So for us, again, I can't speak for other companies. For us, the only way that we make money is just on the profit of the sale. So we'll buy a house, rehab it, and then resell it, right? So it's kind of like a flip for us. And we just make money on the profit. That's it. There's no other like turnkey fees or service fees or anything like that. Everything is just wound up into that property. And so a turnkey property, to answer your question, is in my opinion, it's a property that comes with property management in place, has a tenant in place, and then hopefully that company will help you get you know the other stuff, financing, insurance, inspectors, if you need them. I know you said that it kind of evolved into a turnkey company from just your personal investments, but why did you want to start a turnkey company from the beginning? Why did you decide to go that route? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a good question. And there's no real answer. I mean, we people just started reaching out to us and it was there's this thing with banks called seasoning periods, right? So this local credit union that we had didn't really have a seasoning period, but there's other larger lenders that we wanted to use where we can get better interest rates. If we were the owners of the property for six months or more, then we can go to a Wells Fargo, a Bank of America and do a cash out refinance with them. They would give us higher loan to values and lower interest rates than that local credit union we were using. So if I buy a property, renovate it for the first month, rent it out for the second month. You know, I'm cash flowing in starting in month 3, right? But I have to own that property for 6 months before I can do my refinance. So, what we started thinking about was, hey, why don't we in the meantime from month 3 to month 6, let's just market the property out and see if somebody will come and buy it. We started looking at the numbers in terms of returns for us as well on a percentage basis. So, we just thought to ourselves, all right, well when the project's done in month 3, we'll market it all the way up until month 6. If nobody buys it, then great. At least we gave it a shot and we can just refinance it and hold it ourselves. So that's kind of how the turnkey business model came about later on. After those first 10 properties that we had, we just started thinking about it more like that. And what ended up happening was that actually very few properties didn't sell in six months. 
most of our properties sold in month three. And so then we were like, hey, there could be a real business here. There's tons of demand for this kind of thing and tons of repeat business because 80% of our clients come back and buy a second, third, fourth property. So it's not just a one-off sale. And that's not what I'm interested in either. So a lot of people kept coming back and it just became a, a very nice business model for everybody. How are you scaling this kind of business? Is it something that you just plow the, the profits back into the business and it just continues to grow that way and you use the profits to buy more properties? Yeah, exactly. We're doing that. We also raise a ton of outside money. So we'll raise money from private investors who, for example, have a 401k or IRA account and want to get that out of the stock market. So they'll lend us money. There's other people that just have money sitting in a bank account, don't really want to buy rentals. They just want some passive income. So we'll pay them for the money that they have in their bank account. So we've been using a lot of outside private funding, what are called private money lenders. But other than that, there's not much. We don't use... I've never used a hard money loan. I've never gotten bank financing to you know that does like a construction loan or a bridge loan or anything like that. I really don't like those loans. I'd rather pay it to somebody who just has the money sitting in their account. It's going to be much easier to work with that kind of person. We have been looking into other things like large lines of credit and all that good stuff. But as of today, we haven't. The only way that we've been funding this is our own personal money and the profits, and then also raising out money from private money lenders. What does that relationship look like with the private money lenders? Are they taking equity in the business? Are they taking equity in the property? Or are they just getting a percent return on top of what they give you? They don't have any equity. Essentially, what we're signing with them is a promissory note. That's it. So they're lending us fifty to sixty thousand dollars. We're paying them twelve percent annualized return on their money, so one percent a month. So they lend us fifty thousand bucks. We sign a promissory note, which is pretty much a promise of us to pay them back X amount of dollars plus principal plus the interest, right? The interest payments and what does the interest payment look like in a term of twelve months normally? So they lend us fifty thousand bucks. We pay them five hundred dollars per month, which is one percent, which is going to be twelve percent annualized return. And normally our projects, again, are three to four months long. So normally they'll give us the $50,000. We'll pay them $500 per, per month for three to four months. And then once that project is sold, we reach back out to them. Hey, Billy, your property's sold. We have your $50,000 here. Do you want it back or do you want to roll it into a new deal? And most of our investors move the money over into the next deal. So what strategies are you using to find the properties that you're acquiring for the turnkey business? Today, about half of our deals still come from MLS. We're just making a ton of offers on the MLS, going through it every single day. So there's that. Probably another 25% comes from realtors' pocket listings, just realtors that we've you know, done 10 or 20, 30 deals with. They'd rather just send their, their house that needs rehab work to us instead of wasting their time listing it and going through all that stuff. They know that we're going to pay them a good price, a fair price for it, and we're going to close quick. So they just send the deals to us instead of marketing them out. So that's another 25%. And then the other 25%, the last 25% is uh, from wholesalers. So we're in a bunch of wholesalers lists. A lot of the agents that we work with are on those lists as well. So whether we get the, the lead from a wholesaler or one of our agents does and they send it to us. That's really interesting. I didn't expect you to be able to find a lot of properties off the MLS for this type of business. What do the economics look like for a turnkey business? What have you found to be the average returns on a typical property in a turnkey business? It would be like a normal flip. So normal flippers are making anywhere like around the 15% range. And that's how much of a return we're making on a percentage basis. What are the typical returns that somebody's getting when they buy the properties from you? I'm sure it varies from property to property, but in general, what are you seeing? So those are going to be very similar. So they're going to be... Normally, we try to hit 16% for our investors on the cash flow basis. 
So yeah, very similar returns to what we're making on the on the flip side. When you're acquiring these properties, how do you determine if you're just going to keep the property for your own investment portfolio as a rental, or if you're going to sell it as a property available in the turnkey company? Good question. So every time we analyze a deal, we run a scenario A and a scenario B. Scenario A is selling it turnkey. Are we making you know our number? Do we like the profit that we're going to make from this property? And that has to be a yes. And then number two is if we aren't able to sell this property and we have to refinance it, what can we refinance it at? And are we happy with the return of the cash flow of this property that it's going to produce? Are we happy with that return as well? So scenario A and scenario B need to both be yeses. And then really deciding if we're going to keep it or hold it, we don't do that. We Every single property we buy goes up on martelturnkey.com. If it doesn't sell, then those are the properties that we refinance. Again, there's very few that that haven't sold on our website that we refinance. I think in the last year, there's been like two or three. All other properties have have been sold and somebody has came in and purchased the property from us. What do you wish you knew about the turnkey business before you got started with it? The financing is probably the biggest issue for the turnkey side. For our clients, it's super easy. If you have a W-2 job or 1099, you have a good credit score, you can go and buy these properties all day long. It's easy. Once you are you know, buying these houses that aren't in livable condition, you're renovating them, and sometimes you're spending, you know, you're buying a house for 25 grand and you're spending $30,000 on the renovation. So even more than the property is worth. And also the total investment is you know, 60 or 70,000 bucks. So it's less than $100,000, which is a loan minimum for a ton of lenders. So I would say that the biggest hurdle and the biggest kind of thing that we learned when we got into this business, it was like, damn, there's no banks that really, or even hard money lenders for that matter, that really cater to this demographic of you know flipping houses sub $100,000. And still today, I haven't found a lender who's, who has their prices really bare bones because you kind of need a bare bones because you're, the profit dollar amount is very small per, on a per deal basis. So now if you have two points or a minimum of $2,500 in points or fees that you have to pay to a bank to just get the loan approved. Well, there goes 30% of my profit you know, like out the window just for getting the loan. And now it becomes very challenging to get these, these things financed for me to go and buy them, which is why we've been referring to and going to private money lenders instead. It's just the best route for us to take. Could you purchase a portfolio of properties that need renovations and maybe use a commercial loan and, and do a package deal? Have you tried that? We could. It's just really hard to get those perfect packages. We've bought a couple packages in the past of three to four houses. There's always like two or three good ones, and then there's two or three that you wish you never bought or would never signed your name on. And with every single package that I've ever done, I've never bought a good package where all the houses worked out at just uh but when I'm doing it one by one, I mean it's a it's a walk in the park. Like, you know, we can really dial into the numbers. For some reason, there's always some garbage you have to buy in these packages that That doesn't overly surprise me. And my guess is that's why they're selling them as a package, because they probably couldn't get off those other one or two units if they're selling them individually. So not overly surprised by that. If you were gonna start over now, would you start a turnkey company again? I probably would since I know what I know now. <laughs> It is a very challenging business and it's, you know, you're doing a lot of stuff. Whereas, you know, maybe flipping a house may be a little bit easier because you don't have to deal with the client. You don't have to help them get financing and help them do this. And, you know, you're not really getting paid for those things, right? We're just making money on a profit, just like a normal flipper would, quote unquote. So I would say with what I know now, I probably would. I mean, we've helped a ton of people just create some 
excess income, use the money in their bank accounts to grow a rental property portfolio. We've helped a lot of people do 1031 exchanges and save tons of money on taxes and you know, increase their income from 200 bucks a month in California to you know, $2,000 with using the same amount of money. So that's probably the, the biggest benefit of this business is you see you know, you're really helping people with their passive income and growing their passive income and helping them do that through real estate and through single family homes. Is that qualitative piece a big component of it? Because if I hear that you're making the same returns as a flipper or similar, but you're doing all of this extra work, I wonder why you wouldn't just flip it rather than doing the turnkey side of things. But if there's that component where you know, you're helping people and that means a lot, then I definitely would understand that. But Yeah, good, yeah, good point. And I, the one thing I would say to that is that the benefit of me versus a flipper is that my same buyer can come back eight times. Whereas if I'm flipping houses, that one family is going to buy one house and boom, be done, right? It's a benefit. It just takes a longer time to realize those gains, right? So it's going to take me a couple of years to build that. You know, I've been in it for a couple of years, but a couple more years to build an even larger brand to even get more repeat business. So the sales get easier and easier as we go down. But you know, when I first started this last back in 2017, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't easy to sell these things, right? You got to really convince people that this is the right thing to do. Now it becomes much easier. I say, yeah, we sold 85 last year and here's a whole bunch that we did in this neighborhood. And here's some clients that have bought houses next door to this one. right? So it's a much easier sale at this point. But just getting started, it's a much harder process because it's a much harder process just like a flipper would have because you have to go and listen on the market for rent and do all that kind of stuff. So us and the project length is getting shorter and shorter as we have more and more referrals and repeat business. Yeah, that's a really good point actually because with a flipper, it's a one-off sale every time. Whereas with your business, like you said, you have repeat customers, which is ideally cutting down significantly on your holding costs and just those additional costs that you have from holding the property if you're a flipper and you can't necessarily find a buyer. But if you have a list of buyers that you're continually selling to, that should really help with those holding costs, keep them down and ultimately increase your profit margins. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And then also, we also have a scenario, you know, plan B, right? which is to rent the property out and hold it. So a lot of flippers, what's really scary for me is, you know, if I'm going to go flip a two or $300,000 home and the market properties on the market for six months, first of all, that's a lot of wasted money. And then second of all, there's no tenant in there because you can't put a tenant in there. So you kind of mean to make a hard decision like, are we going to go and rent this property out now? Or are we going to keep marketing it for rent? So you got to make a hard turn, a hard pivot, and there's no going back because that said tenant's going to sign a lease for one year. Right. The other issue with with the flippers in that higher price point, instead of sub hundred thousand dollars, they're in like two or three hundred thousand dollar price point, is that those properties don't cash flow very well either. So even if they were going to go pivot into you know Plan B, which is going to be rented out, they're not going to beat the one percent rule. The cash on cash return is going to be pretty bad. It's going to be less than ten percent. Whereas for me, I'm gonna even if I just hold the property and leave my own money in it, I'm gonna make you know fifteen percent return on my money. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say too, is having that turnkey business is such a benefit when you're buying these properties because you always hear people talk about having at least two exit strategies and your turnkey property gives you that. You can keep it as a rental for your own portfolio or you can run it through the turnkey company. So I definitely think that's a component of having the company that's valuable that might not be thought about from, from everybody. Let's talk about what your personal current real estate portfolio looks like. Slowly, we've been selling off our personal single family homes and we've been moving those funds because we've actually been selling them on martelturnkia.com. Like the original 10 houses that we bought in Memphis, we're down to the last couple 
that were selling off because you know the tenants moved out. So moved out at different times, but once they move out, we renovate them and then we put them up on martellturnkey.com, sell them. So those like first ten properties are are slowly being sold off. And we've been taking our cash and actually buying uh, larger apartment buildings in the same market. So both in Memphis and Cleveland, mostly in Memphis, Tennessee, though, we have around 71 units that we bought just last year in 2019 in uh, Memphis, Tennessee. So talk to us a bit about that dynamic. Why are you targeting single family properties in the turnkey business, but you're targeting medium to large multifamily apartment buildings in your personal rental portfolio? Yeah, great question. So we, like I said at the very beginning, we started with single family homes, right? And turnkey rental properties are great for people to get their feet wet to start acquiring single family homes to start growing that portfolio. I still think it's a great place to start. I don't think that people are going to get rich or wealthy or, or anything like that from single family homes. It's going to just take a lot longer, right? But the benefit of single family homes is that it takes way less cash to get into the game $20,000, right? And you can go 20,000 bucks, you can put Use that as a down payment for an $80,000 house. You have a couple thousand bucks in closing costs. You'll be all in for around $20,000 to buy a single family home in Cleveland, Ohio, for example. So it's like one of the cheapest ways to get your feet wet, to get into the real estate business, and to use financial leverage. So it's a great way to get started. But a lot of people in the US don't have $300,000 in the bank, $400,000 in the bank. And for example, when we went and bought one of our buildings, which is just an 11 unit building, we bought it for 450 grand. We put $150,000 down and then we spent $150,000 in renovation. So just for an 11 unit building, I mean, we spent $300,000 just to buy 11 units, right? So there's this barrier to entry once you get into the five or more units. First of all, the financing's way worse. No more 80% loan to values. They're at 65, 70, 75%. Um, the interest rates that we're getting are also much higher. They're not 4.8%. We're paying six and a half, six percent So a lot of stuff changes once you get over those five, that five-unit mark. And also, the amount of cash needed is just way more money, right? So like I said in the beginning, we started with just 40 grand. We went and bought whatever we could afford in the real estate business just to get into the game. As we've slowly had that business grow and slowly sold more and more properties every single month, we've then had this cash pool that we can say, hey, we can put this into more properties for the turnkey business, or let's see if we can do something bigger personally. And slowly, we've been doing that off to the side and slowly buying more and more apartments just with personal cash because we do have it now. So again, a lot of people in the US don't have that much money saved up. And for them to really take a big leap, like selling their personal home and taking that cash and buying an apartment building, it's probably not the best move if you've never invested in real estate before. So that's why we've been doing that personally. It's just because a huge barrier to entry. I still think turnkey is a great place to start to get your feet wet so that you can then think about and be comfortable making big moves to get into the multifamily. Do you ever see the turnkey company selling or turning multifamily properties? Or is the price point being higher just not make it as attractive because the investors might not be able to afford them as much as they can single family? We do mostly single family, right? Like 90, 95%. But we'll here and there get some duplexes. So probably one in every like 10 or 20 properties will we'll get a we'll get a duplex. And so those are on the website. We two years back, we bought a four-unit apartment building in St. Louis. We made it quote unquote turnkey and we just sold it up on our website too. So we've slowly been testing the waters with doing bigger and bigger stuff. 
that 11 unit that I just referenced, where we bought for 450 and spent a bunch of money on the renovation, we're actually thinking about selling that and putting it up on martelturnkey.com and really just to see what happens. Because a lot of people just have you know 20 or 50 grand saved up, but there are some people that do have $100,000, $200,000 and they're looking to get something bigger. So yes, with that 11 unit building, we're going to test it out. That's the smallest building that we have. The rest are like 20 units and up. So we're going to try it with that 11 unit building once it's been fully renovated and the rents have been increased. We're going to test it with with that and really just see what happens and see if somebody bites on that property and, and wants to buy it from us. At the Turnkey Company, do you take almost like orders from investors? So if somebody comes to you and says, we really want to buy a turnkey property from you guys, we don't necessarily see anything that we're super interested in on your website. But if you find something XYZ, you know, we'll be interested. And then you go out and find those properties for them? Or is that not a business model that turnkey companies usually look into? Yeah, it's a good question. We don't really do that. I mean, we have people that reach out to us, hey, not interested in anything on the site. Send me when you got some more stuff. There's a ton of stuff that we have that's under construction that's not on the website because we don't have pretty photos yet, right? So there's a bunch of properties that, you know, when people reach out to us and say, hey, don't like anything on your site, anything else you got coming down the pipeline. And then we share with them stuff we have coming down the pipeline. And a lot of the times those people will buy properties that we have under construction. And then typically they'll just we'll just extend their contract out a little bit longer so that they can see the photos, get the appraiser in there, inspector in there, and give them some more time to do their due diligence. So on the topic of finding apartment buildings that you're adding to your personal portfolio, what exactly are you looking for in a potential property? So for us, for the apartment buildings, it's heavy value add. So for example, what heavy value add means to me is increasing the rents normally like anywhere from 25 to hundred percent. So that eleven unit building we bought it, the rents were four twenty five. We made them nine hundred dollars per month after renovation. So huge increases, huge renovations to the units, to the interiors and the exteriors. And then once you run all those numbers and all of them make sense, we then want the return or the the IRR internal rate of return for that property over a five year period to be fifteen percent or greater. So that's what we're looking for, a fifteen percent return on our money for those larger buildings. So you're looking for a 15% IRR, so your total return rather than just your cash on cash? So that includes the cash on cash plus a sale. So it's like buying the property, year one doing renovation, year two stabilized cash flow, year three stabilized cash flow, year four stabilized cash flow, year five stabilized cash flow plus a sale. And then taking that profit and get, getting that profit. So that over the five-year period, I'm looking for 15% IRR. Yeah, that's interesting. And the reason I ask that is because I hear a lot of investors talking about cash on cash as being you know, the predominant metric that they're looking at, not so much the IRR. So it's interesting to hear that you're focusing more on the IRR than the necessary cash on cash. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, cash on cash is important. There's a certain just cash on cash that I want, and that's typically over 10% for year two, three, four, five. Year one is really just like a fixing year. So normally it's break even or even just loses a little bit of money, and that's fine. I mean, I do double check to make sure that, like, the reason why people do the cash on cash is because when you're selling the property, the IRR takes into account the cash flow plus a sale, right? Which includes the profit. But if you're IRR, for example, is 25%. And you're like, oh my God, this deal is amazing. It could be because your cap rate is just way too low. So for example, we try to put a cap rate anywhere from like 7 to 8%. Some people accidentally or mistakenly put in like a 4 or 5% cap rate, which will make their IRR go from 
15 to 30 or 25, right? And then their, their cash flow in year two, three, four, and five, just on the cash flow is like four or 5%. And so they're barely making any money. They're banking all their chips on selling that property for a four or 5% cap rate. And yeah, that's risky business. So I do do a double check and make sure that the cap rate on the sale is is very reasonable. And normally it's for what we go into the property at. So if we're going in buying it at a six or seven, then I'm going to go in and sell it and refinance it for a seven or 8% cap rate later. For those listening to the show who might not know what a cap rate is, what is a cap rate? So a cap rate or capitalization rate is the return you would make on a property if you were to buy it all cash. Yeah, that's very <laughs> simple, but that's exactly, that's exactly what it is. So how are you finding the deals for your rental portfolio? We talked about how you're finding them for the turnkey, but how are you finding them for your rental portfolio? Are you using the same strategies that you do in the turnkey business? No. So it's very different. 100% of the multifamily deals that we get uh, have come from broker relationships. 100%. So really getting out there, getting showing people that you're legit in whatever way you need to, and then following up with those brokers on a constant basis, consistent basis, Letting them know that you're still waiting, still looking for deals, how much money you have, sending them approval funds, sending them, you know, inundating them with information about why you're the man. And that's what you've got to do. And I did that for nine months straight, every two to three weeks. And that's how I got my first deal. And I'm sure having the turnkey business just helps your credibility and your reputation with all these brokers showing how many deals you've done and that side of the business. I'm sure that helps a bit with finding these apartment building complexes and those brokers just trusting you. Yeah, hundred percent. And if I can go and like when I was like reaching out to brokers in Memphis, I'm like, hey, I own forty houses in Memphis. They're all under construction. Here's a list of addresses. By the way, here's a proof of funds for a million bucks. You know, it's like, okay, well, I think this guy's legit, right? So, and he can handle also like doing heavy construction or heavy value add because that's what I was looking for. But everybody's emailing these brokers asking for heavy value add, right? But nobody's showing that they can actually take on heavy value add. And so by showing them. That I was doing all these projects in Memphis, and they could literally go and drive by to make sure I wasn't, you know, BSing them. You know, I think it definitely helped bring me to the top of the list, or you know, very close to the top of the list for for a lot of these brokers. How can someone who's maybe a little newer than you are, or hasn't done as many deals, how can they start to build those broker relationships? Yeah, for people that are just getting started, I mean, great having rapport is, is fantastic, and having that kind of springboard, I guess, to get into the broker's phone or speed dial is terrific. But if you don't have that, I mean, even just reaching out to the brokers on a consistent basis and then doing things a little bit differently. So if you have money or one of your partners has money, I would just take some, take like a proof of funds and send it to all the brokers and be like, Hey, I'm interested in buying this, this, and this. Here's my proof of funds. This is going to be my first deal in Memphis, Tennessee, but we're looking to do plenty more once we get it going. And so kind of sell them on the on the long-term strategy because that's what I had to do too with like property management companies, realtors, contractors when I first started even just buying my first couple of homes, right? You know, they're taking a risk on you as well that you're going to be easy to work with, you're going to pay the bills. So I had to do that sales pitch already for the the turnkey business when I first started it and it was I was selling them pretty much the story of long-term growth and expansion and dollar signs and all that kind of stuff. And what I mean by that is I would call people on the ground and you can use the same thing for multifamily. And I would say, Hey, my name is Antoine Martel. I'm a real estate investor from California. I'm looking to buy apartment buildings, renovate them, rent them out, and then refinance them or sell them later. And you know, you can say something like, 
I haven't done any deals in in Memphis, Tennessee before, but I'm looking to continue to scale up my apartments and I'm looking to buy over a hundred units this year. So then they kind of see like the dollar signs flashing, like, hey, he's not just looking to buy one building for 10, for 10 units or 20 units and then walk away. He's looking to really build a scalable model. And so that's what I did when I was calling these brokers at the very beginning. It's, hey, I want to buy a house a month, not just I want to buy a house. I want to buy a rental. It's like, I want to buy a house a month. I want to buy it, rehab it, rent it out and refinance it. And then I'm looking to slowly scale up the business from there to all the way up to like 10 houses per month. So kind of sell them on the story and get them ingrained in that kind of vision. And it can help you get some more deals that um, you know other people who just call asking for one deal are not going to get. Does it help to start with single families so that you can grow a little bit of a track record that way with some smaller deals so that you can at least go to the brokers and say, hey, I've done five deals, 10 deals, three deals, whatever it may be on single families. And then you can at least have that track record before you go to those brokers or should somebody just use what you just talked about and go directly to the brokers and start right with multifamily? So what I recommend, it all depends on how much money you have and you're looking to invest. So if somebody has like twenty to $50,000, then I would recommend just buying turnkey and just getting started there because that's all you can get started with that kind of budget. You can't even get into multifamily. If somebody has $100,000 to $200,000, then you have some options. You can do turnkey you can also partner up with some people with other real estate investors or syndicators or do something like that. Do joint ventures with people on multifamily apartments because now you at least have a little bit of leverage. Maybe you can't do a full deal, a full 20 units, but you can partner up with one or two guys and take down a building yourselves, right? So that's a good budget to start there. Then if you have, you know, $250,000 all the, you know, and more, then okay, maybe you want to start looking skip the whole single family, skip the whole turnkey. You don't even need a partner at this point. Maybe you do want one, but you don't need one because at this point, if you have $250,000 or more, you can go and do your own deal. And I would still start very small, maybe with something closer to the five units, five, six, seven, eight units and start there, test out your teams and slowly build up and slowly grow the portfolio from there. But the biggest thing for getting into multifamily again is is the budget. I mean, if money wasn't an issue, then I would say everybody start with multifamily, but it's uh, it's just not a reality. I want to talk a bit about how you're raising private capital from your investors, specifically for the rental portfolio side of things, your apartment buildings, because I get this question all the time from listeners. They always ask how they can go about raising private money or finding investors to invest with them. So what are you doing to find those investors to invest in your apartment building deals? For example, the $100,000 to $250,000 price range is that's where a lot of the guys come from who want to invest in our apartment buildings. And so the way that I've been raising money for that or the way that I would recommend raising money for that is just networking. That's really going to be your bread and butter. And even if you haven't done a deal yet, again, you got to sell the story of you doing a deal or doing multiple deals. And that's kind of what you have to sell. So even if you have nothing under your belt, you need to sell the dream of this building and why you need this person's money to help you do this kind of deal. So I would say networking, I would go to meetups, I would go on bigger pockets and network as much as you can over there as well and just go start meeting people and learning from people and start collecting people and adding them to a spreadsheet or whatever you want and you know collect how much money they have, what they're trying to do, etc, cetera, etc cetera. and those people are going to be very key later on. Networking can never hurt. You can never network enough. <laughs> Literally, you can network 24-7 and it, you would you could make a lot of money from those people that are in your network. What do you think the best way or the number one way to network is? What should somebody really double down on? Message people one-on-one. 
hey, my name's Andrew Martel. I live in Culver City and I see that you live nearby and you're interested in investing in. I was wondering if you wanted to get together for some coffee and just share notes. Boom, that's it. No sales pitch, no nothing. No, I'm trying to do this and raise money for this. And here's my package to this. Just say that you want to go and meet up with them for coffee. And then just literally share with them every single thing that you've been learning or have learned. And if you haven't learned anything at all, just go in and be prepared to ask the right questions. So listen to a couple of podcasts about things that they're doing. So for example, if they're mobile home parks, go listen to a bunch of podcasts about mobile home parks and then go to that meeting and ask good questions and take one hour of their time. That's it. And put them on your list as a person who does mobile home parks and is looking for money for their next deal or you know whatever. The, you're going to figure out some pain points right while you're in that meeting and then keep that in for knowledge later because you never know what may happen at the next meeting where somebody wants to invest in mobile home parks and is looking for an investment opportunity and they have 100,000 bucks and now you can make money just by being a connector and you can even get a piece of that mobile home park for literally going to two, to two meetings. So say somebody's able to do this successfully like you've done, what does the structure of these deals look like? What have you historically used for your structure when you're partnering with these outside investors? Are they taking equity? Are you doing 50-50 and then you just split everything? All of the profits are 50-50? Are you paying them you know, interest back on their money like you did in the turnkey business? What does that look like? Yeah, good question. So for the apartment buildings, a little bit different. Apartment buildings, people invest in those buildings and get equity because it is a joint venture. Essentially, we sign a joint venture agreement, literally. So those investors are getting a piece of the deal. We're splitting everything 60-40. So we'll both put 50% of the money up front. So they'll put 50%. I'll put 50% in terms of the capital. But then on the equity, we get 60%. They get 40%. That extra 10% is just for finding the deal and signing on the loan. And then managing the deal after. So, you know, we're pretty much doing a lot of the work. They're coming in, investing in those deals, partnering up with us. We're the only ones signing on the loan, and then we're bringing the deal to the table too. So, we're asking for an extra 10% equity just for doing those two things. So, are you essentially just forming an LLC and then they own 40% of it, you own 60% of it, and that's how the joint vendor is structured as well? Yep, exactly. So, you don't have to worry about any SEC requirements for like syndications or anything like that. No, because we're bringing in they're signed they're just being part of our operating agreement and then we're not bringing in like 17 people, right? Like the last couple of deals have been one or two guys that we're just partnering up with. So, more of a partnership than a uh, actual true syndication. You know, we're asking people for, you know, 20 or 30 grand and we're bringing in 20 of them. So, does the structure ever vary or are you always putting up 50% of the money? So, and the reason I ask is what if somebody listening to the show today hears that and they're like, "Well, I don't have 50% of, of the money to put up. I was hoping you know, somebody would fund the deal 100% or 90% or 80% even, and that they only had to put up either nothing or up to 20% maybe. Have you done any deals like that? And if you haven't, what would you recommend for a split? Should somebody maybe go 70-30 towards the investor or what might that look like? I used to do these joint venture agreements where I would bring on an investor and they would fund 90% of the deal. I would put up 10% and we would split the profits 50-50. So if you're doing a multifamily deal, every deal is a little bit different. Uh, and the biggest thing and the biggest issue is really the loan, right? So that's the issue with with the whole multifamily thing. So normally, if you're bringing in an investor and you're kind of just the deal finding guy and managing the project, then you'll have an investor come in, fund the whole project, sign on the loan for you, and then you'll get 10 or 20% or 30%, whatever you negotiate of that deal for bringing him the deal and then managing the entire process. And then, you know, let's say you found a property management company, like bringing those people in as well. So I think that that could be a fair setup where you can get into your first deal without 
putting any of your own money. You're going to have to do a lot of work, but without any of your own money, you can make a certain percentage and certain ownership of that deal. What does that dynamic look like with the bank? You mentioned that briefly there. Who is going on the loan? How does that work if you're not necessarily putting up any capital? Are the investors having to go on the loan? No. So they won't have to. Normally, the banks do it where anybody who owns 25% or more of this LLC will have to sign on the loan. This is just for my bank. I don't use like a government-backed financing yet. My deals aren't that big yet. So we can't go and use like Freddie Mac financing. So we're using just like an asset-based lender. And their rule is that anybody who owns 25% or more of the LLC has to sign on the loan. So for example, if you're going to go and do this and you're going to find the deal, manage the deal, and somebody else is going to fund the whole thing and sign on the loan for you, then you know you can make 20 or 22.5% and just manage and run the deal. And then the other investor gets the rest of the deal and then they sign on the loan for you and you don't have your name on anything. So in your case, because you're splitting at 60-40, your investors are having to go on the loan, correct? Because they're over that 25%. So what we do is we take that 40% and we split it up into two investors normally. So the one time that we did it otherwise, we had our investor put his personal name and put his LLC. So technically it was two different investors. But um, there's some some things that you can do to, to work around it. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I think that this dynamic gets even harder when you go to single family. And the reason I say that is because if you go to get a regular traditional mortgage, you're not going to be able to do that same strategy that we're talking about. They're going to want both people on that loan, as far as I know, regardless yep. of how much you own. And in my experience, I've, I've read and learned that a lot of people have a hard time getting loans if you're not related, significantly related to that person. So if they're not like your spouse. So it might make partnering on deals for single family difficult. Is that your same experience? Yeah, that's correct. For single family homes, I really don't recommend partnering unless everything is done all cash. Once you get the bank involved on these single family homes, it gets very complicated and very... Uh, Annoying because, especially if we're doing like government backed financing or Fannie Mae financing, it's very complicated. They're asked for a ton of information. So, if you're doing like single family home flips, you can use a hard money lender who's going to be easier to work with. If you can do everything all cash, I mean, by all means, do that. And so, we were talking about value add, and that's what you're doing. That's your main strategy for your apartment buildings. But it seems like value add has become a bit of a buzzword in the real estate industry over the past few years, much like artificial intelligence and blockchain has in the tech space. And with your focus on exactly that, acquiring value add multifamily apartment buildings, can you first explain exactly what value add is, how you're looking for those, and then how you differentiate yourself and your business in a market where increasingly more investors are really looking for those value add deals? Value add for me is, like I said, like increasing heavily. And the way to identify them is looking at the current rent roll and then looking at what the market rents are. And you know, if that number is 25% or more or less, then you know, that's a value add apartment. Whether it's going to be you know, renovating all the units, adding washers and dryers to those units, or renovating the exterior of the building, uh, you may have to do all of those things to get the rents up. But what we really look for is buildings, for example, that are rented out for four or five hundred bucks a unit, where we can increase those rents to seven, eight, nine hundred bucks a unit. That's going to be a value add apartment. But what a value add apartment is not is some building that comes to us and the rents are the rent roll showing seven hundred bucks a unit and the market rent is seven twenty five. That's not a big enough spread for me to make good money or to increase the value. And the reason why you want to do the value add apartments, the heavy value add, is that. You're increasing the net operating income, you know, literally doubling it. So, if the building's making 100 grand a year and you renovate it and make it make 200 grand a year, now the value of that building doubled. Therefore, bought it for a million, 
you spent 200 grand or 300 grand on renovation. Now it's worth 2 million bucks. You just created $700,000 of equity by increasing those rents. Now you can go to a bank and do a cash out refinance and pull all that money out. So it's just kind of like the burst strategy, just on a larger scale. That's what we're doing with, with the value add apartments and why we've been sticking our guns to those value add apartments. Why do those deals even exist? Like, why are the owners, if the rent can go up that much and there's that opportunity, why are the current owners not just taking advantage of that, doing exactly what you do themselves rather than selling the property? It's very expensive. We spend around 13,000 bucks per unit, and that's pretty cheap. We just got some bids for some other contractors and they charge us $25,000 to renovate one of the units. Now, for a small mom and pop landlord, that's, you know, they're not even going to spend that much money on a roof. A lot of these guys bought buildings 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. They're just living off the cash flow. They love the cash flow. They don't really care to increase or spend an extra, you know, imagine you you're spending 10,000 bucks a unit even and you have 20 unit, you know, it's $200,000 investment that you have to make now on your building that's already making you money, and where am I going to get $200,000 from? So, that's the big thing that I've seen. A lot of the people and guys we've bought buildings from in the past just don't have access to that kind of capital, nor do they want to to spend that amount of money on a building that they're already making a quote unquote great return. Yeah, there could be a lot of reasons. Like you said, maybe they just don't want to spend the time or money doing it. Definitely, there are opportunities for that. Clearly, you're making it work. Where can the audience go to learn more about you and all the different things that you have going on? Thanks for having me. The best place to get in touch with me is probably Instagram. You can follow me there at Martel Antoine. My website's martelturnkey.com if you're interested in anything turnkey rental properties related. And then, yeah, if you want to learn more about the apartments or interested in those, then yeah, you can go to Instagram and just shoot me a DM. I try to get to everybody as best I can. Awesome. And I'll be sure to put links to those resources in the show notes so everyone listening, you guys can go check it out and connect with Antoine there. Antoine, thanks so much. Thanks for having me. And now we're going into a new segment of the show that I'm excited to be adding. I want to make the show interactive and make sure you all listening to the show are getting your questions answered too. So in this new segment, I'll be answering questions we receive from you all listening to the show. Today's question was asked by William Williams in our Facebook group. He asked, I've noticed a lot of the real estate podcasts out there talk as if real estate is the only successful investment a person can make. With your background in both stocks and real estate, Do you invest in both? Should people consider assets outside of real estate? Before I start to answer this question directly, I want to say that this is such a great question. As a stock and real estate investor myself, I noticed something similar when I listened to other real estate podcasts. So now to answer your question, yes, I do invest in both stocks and real estate currently, and I plan to indefinitely. I also do think that most people should invest in both stocks and real estate. It's going to vary from person to person, but in general, I would say, yeah, most people should have exposure to both the stock market and real estate. This is a real estate show, so I don't want to go into the weeds of stock investing too much. If you want to hear more about my stock investing, you can check out my other podcast called Millennial Investing. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. But I will admit that once I studied real estate deeply and really understood it, I did start to heavily invest in real estate and backed off investing in the stock market a little bit. Growing up, I always knew I wanted to work in investments. My goal was to work at a hedge fund, actually. For various reasons, that didn't work out for me, but I still had and still do have a passion for stock investing. So I do still spend quite a bit of time analyzing companies and making individual stock picks, as well as investing automatically and passively in ETFs. 
and I even sell options to generate cash flow from the stock market. But I have lessened my allocation to stocks in the stock market over the last year or two and put more towards real estate. Originally, my entire portfolio, both the retirement accounts from my corporate career and my non-retirement investment accounts were invested entirely in the stock market. Once I got into real estate, I decided to keep my retirement accounts from my corporate job in the stock market and continually invest in those every week. And then I'd invest the majority of my non-retirement investment money into real estate. So William, and everyone listening to the show today, just because that's what I've done doesn't mean that's necessarily the best strategy for everyone. But in general, I do think most people should have some of their portfolio allocated to stocks and some to real estate. If you want to hear your question answered on a future episode, you can post your question in our Facebook group, and I'll be picking some of my favorite questions to answer here on the show. You can find the Facebook group by clicking the link in the show notes below in your favorite podcast app, by going to theinvestorspodcast.com, or by searching Real Estate and Millennial Investing on Facebook and looking for the show's graphic. That's all I had for this week's episode. I'll see you all again next week. Thank you for listening to TIP. To access our show notes, courses, or forums, go to theinvestorspodcast.com. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any decisions, consult a professional. This show is copyrighted by the Investors Podcast Network. Written permissions must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting.